Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us here at First Christian Church. Just a reminder that the congregational meeting will be held today after service. Next week, we will be going on an adventure during our 9 a.m. service with our cast of Simply Christmas. This party is big enough for the whole family, so the kids' ministry will not be meeting. We would like to invite you and your families to our candlelight Christmas Eve service on December 24th at 7 p.m. That's all the announcements for today. Enjoy the service. Like, go ahead and stand with us. Cool. 
for your blessing on this morning as we hear your word as we sing these songs we pray for the youth uh, in their ministry uh, just uh, we give ourselves over to you today God we love you and we praise you amen all right kids you can uh, be dismissed In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with, with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Well, that, my friends, was Mr. and Mrs. Brian Christensen. So thank you, guys. Uh, that's so cool to have you guys uh, uh, launch it for us today. Uh, interestingly enough, our Advent theme, as we've kind of mixed it up a little bit, is love. And uh, you guys are in the honeymoon stage of love. Showcasing that a little bit, I just want to fast forward to where this goes next step-wise a lot of times. Um, but before we do that, uh, I'm going to ask if you'll bow with me. And, and those of you who are with us online, uh, please do the same. Uh, uh, but welcome. Glad that you can join us. And uh, let's take everything that is happening here, whether we are gathered in person or in spirit, and invite our Lord Jesus into it. So let's go ahead and bow. Father, we are grateful that as we explore this story once again in a fresh way through the Advent experience and through the lighting of the candles, which symbolize the preeminent elements of your character and what the life of Jesus comes to mean for each of us as we think about the joy and the hope and the love that surround us because you are in our lives and you are the source for everything. And Father, we know that this uh, very experience that we've come to take for granted after 2,000 years 
began on a particular day where you began the process of displaying your glory in the form of your son. And we are grateful for how it is that you have brought him into the world, indicating to us in so many ways how it is that you love us so much that you became one of us, experiencing from the beginning to the end everything that we go through in life. And Father, we know this is a testimony to the kind of love that you have for us because this is the kind of God that you are. And Lord, we just thank you. May our hearts be open to receiving today from you those things that you have in mind for each of us. And Father, may you bless your word as it uh, comes alive once again in our midst upon its reading. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin this time uh, uh, of, uh, of our third week of Advent, uh, we are looking at the book of Luke, which is something that we will expand on later on as, uh, as, as the, the new year unfolds. But I think it's appropriate to take a look at Luke from the very beginning and ask the question, what does this mean? And what does this mean for you and I? Well, I like especially how it begins in the story that we're going to look at today, and I want to set it up a little bit. Uh, maybe perhaps if you're, <clears throat> if you're a mother in the group or uh, even a, a father or you've had you know, a child that has been in the form of an infant uh, in your family, then you kind of get where this is going perhaps. And uh, as, as God is uh, working in history and circumstances and empires, he zooms in on a particular moment, and the moment looks something like this. There is a husband and a wife, and the wife is carrying a child, and they are traveling a pretty good distance from Galilee in the north to Judea, the hill country in the south. So just imagine being nine months pregnant and having a uphill climb all the way to the destination that you are required to go to by the government in order that you can fill out the census papers uh, in that location, the town of your family's lineage. And so there they are, Joseph and Mary, Mary with child. And I'm trying to just imagine for a second, and please forgive me because I'm rushing in where angels fear to tread. I know anytime I talk about women giving birth. I am not an expert. I am only a supportive bystander. And I'll just, with that disclaimer, I'll just move on into imagining what, where she was at. Because I can only imagine that on the way up, the baby had dropped. And now the baby is resting on, the, on, her, on her pelvis floor. And as she's experiencing the contractions and the discomfort, and Joseph is stressing out over how it is that he's going to not only hopefully arrive on time at this city, but how it is that he's going to discover accommodations. And as you do your trip planning today, you can just get online, you can click your destination and secure your reservation, and it's all good. But back then, they didn't have any of those options available. It was first come, first serve. And Joseph knew there would be drama. Now, it, if you've ever 
experienced the birth of a child in your family in some form, I can only imagine that there hasn't been one that's occurred in our midst, both you guys here and the people online, where there hasn't been drama. All three of our kids have had drama in their entrance into the world. And I won't go into the details of what that meant other than to say that I can remember one particular child in, in terms of his birth into the world and the trip that we made from the doctor's office to the hospital because uh, the physician of the, of, who was on call, not, not uh, Mandy's uh, physician who's going to be attending uh, the birth, the physician that was on call decided that it was time to break her water in the doctor's office. We have no idea why that was so important, but I was so thankful that the trip from the doctor's office to the hospital was just a mere straight shot two miles up the road. And I'm thinking Honda minivan can probably only go about 100 miles an hour max. So we're going to see what it can do between here and there. Uh, and all my wife had said was, you better hurry. Because that's what the doctor said. You better hurry. And I'm just confused because I'm thinking, why in the world did you break her water and then say, oh, you better hurry? Is this some kind of joke that you're trying to uh, perform on us because it's a slow day? I don't know, but I broke some laws getting there. But someone said, sometimes if you need to break the rules, it's okay if you understand why the rules were there in the first place. And I couldn't imagine trying to explain that to the officer. Only, in my mind, there was one thing that needed to be accomplished here, and that was to safely arrive at the hospital for this baby to come into the world. Well, I can remember very clearly it was, a, it was an afternoon I, on Thursday, the 12th of the year 2000, and as I recall that, I also know that nothing particularly dramatic was happening in the backdrop of our world other than the Y2K thing just didn't happen the way they said it was going to happen, and that's about it, but when you think about when Jesus came into the world, there, there were some things happening that were beyond the boundaries of this highway leading up to Jerusalem that they were walking down hoping to secure accommodations. There were parties happening in Rome all over the place because for 25 years uh, there had been this celebration of Caesar Augustus as the emperor who declared himself as the son of Julius Caesar, as the son of God. And he talked about everything that was happening in Rome as a, as, as a celebration for the, uh, for the recognition of 25 years of being in power. And the belief was that not only in Rome was there this sense of revelry and all kinds of partying, but in the sky there was something dramatic that happened as well. And that was the convergence of Mars and Venus in such a way that it, 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 it illuminated the sky very powerfully. And in particular places, 
on the earth, that could be seen with greater clarity and greater intensity. And the place where it had the most intensity happened to be the place that Jesus would be born. And when you consider that for a minute, it would seem like, well, the time, if it wasn't right, it certainly was interesting. But that doesn't change the fact that Mary is thinking about this child that she has inside her womb that is going to have to come out very, very soon. And you can only imagine about the time Joseph was able to secure accommodations in a stable that the next breath out of Mary's mouth was, it's time. But what's so interesting about the time from the standpoint of this couple is where this dramatic event that meant nothing to nobody. I know it's kind of a double negative, but essentially it would come to mean everything to everyone. But in that instance, whenever there was no room, no accommodations, there's a mother wanting to have her child in the least desirable set of accommodations imaginable. Now, what does that have to do with love? I think it has to do um, with that whole notion of love in a way that perhaps is the most powerful that we could ever imagine when we imagine who God is. Because in Roman lore and in the lore of times past, when the gods interacted with women on earth, it was totally carnal, totally lustful, and totally, well, it was, it was in, in terms of the story of Genesis 6, it was totally an abomination. And in the storyline of the Roman gods and the Greek gods, there was a sense that there was mating that occurred between the deities and between humans, and out of that came superheroes. And this notion of greatness connected to the gods ran heavily in the minds of the people that were in that, in that world at that time. And then there's Mary, who in ways totally different than the ways of the gods, quote, small g, interacting with humans, Mary was simply overshadowed by the Holy Spirit who enabled her to conceive. And it wasn't anything but a, a divine experience that had no lust, no sin, no abomination. It was completely and totally the right way for that to happen. Now, the mystery of Jesus' conception is something that Theologians who are way smarter than I am have spent a lot of time pondering. The only thing that I want to say is this, that the awareness that Mary had of who it was that was inside of her and the fact that her husband Joseph 
was totally on board at this point tells me that this is something that is such a unique event, and God was behind it in such a dramatic way, and the Holy Spirit enabled it in the mind and heart of Joseph to be totally at peace, that if a God, capital G, would interact with a female, earthly G, or earthly F, this was the way God said, I'm doing that, but in a totally and completely different manner. That's significant because it is all part of the design that the love of God overshadowed her in a non-exploitative and a non-violating way so that she would be with a child that would be fully divine and fully human. Now, that's another mystery I certainly can't wrap my mind around other than to say this. In hindsight, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God chose to become a part of our experience in this way because I can only imagine that Mary and Joseph, even though Rome was celebrating as the empire, and Rome was promoting the notion that Caesar Augustus, the emperor, was the son of God, which is what the propaganda said, and Rome was uh, exalting the fact that the peace of Rome is now at hand. The only thing that people really weren't aware of within the Roman Empire was if you weren't Roman, it didn't matter because the peace of Rome meant you got to agree with the emperor or bad things are going to happen to you. So there's a dark side to that peace. But all those notions of the Son of God and the peace of God and something that the emperor could not offer the love of God we're all bundled into this young life who that evening emerged into the world as the very son of God. And I don't think it was an accident that by contrast to the Romans and their view of peace and their view of deity and their view of empire and their view of exploiting and abusing everyone that was not a Roman, God was saying to the world, this birth is for everyone. And it is by design a product of the great love that I have for you and for us. I think that's pretty special. And hopefully the significance of what is happening in this moment is starting to sink in. Because if it, if it doesn't, then we're truly not understanding what God was up to whenever he brought his son into the world. Who humbled himself in the form of a man, Paul wrote later on, not even considering equality with God something to be 
to be identified with, but rather taking the form of a servant. See, the kind of love that God has for you and I, it would become very clear later on, was a servant kind of love, which is a different kind of love. Well, with all of that said, let's just look for a minute at what Luke wrote in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 very quickly, and hopefully we can take some notes on how it is that God loves us so much. Here we go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, you know, the great Caesar that everybody's celebrating right now, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Let's just stop for a minute. Why in the world was this so, so, so critical and so important? Other than for the Roman emperor to say to anybody who's asking, guess how many millions of people or, or how many, you know, I don't know what the, what the total census was at that time, but guess how many people are part of my vast empire. And that really was the thing that a very big ego needed to have reinforcing the legitimacy of his, for lack of a better way of saying it, of his divinity. Because it was believed in that culture that deity favored royalty. The rest of us, well, unless we're Romans, we're just kind of mud people. I mean, that literally is the Babylonian idea of humanity. If you're not royalty, then you ain't nothing. Ain't nothing. Double negative again. The fact of the matter is, by design, if you read the opening pages of the book of Genesis, it would seem that the intent was that over all of creation, we, as we are made in God's image... There was no race, there was no differentiation, there was no categorization of people other than male and female who complemented one another. In that commission to those two people, they said, you are the rulers of this planet. And that birthright was stolen by the deceiver. And from that point on, it just continue to slide downward. And what Jesus has essentially come to do, my friends, is establish our birthright. To create a reset for all of humanity so that in him we may discover once again who we are as sons and daughters of God. And I'm just going to say this pastorally. I get so frustrated when a person is a follower of Jesus for a very long time and they have no awareness or no appreciation for the fact that when you are baptized and transferred out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God, you have been adopted 
into that family once again and reestablished into that place. And every one of us should get up in the morning and thank the Lord that he has come into our world and not only that, well, he's given us a new opportunity, a new chance to become who we we're supposed to be to begin with. God had a lot of work to do to rewire this whole thing. And it's a long project that's going to take a lot of time to accomplish. And it's still not done. But the beginning moment of this project to reclaim what's been lost began in Bethlehem, the city of David, the city of promise. Oh, man. As the Bible begins to sort of snap together like a bunch of Legos or Tetris blocks, you start to see it. Luke certainly did. And Joseph, I know, understood it well, as we know from Mary in her song. She just recaps everything that God had been up to in the past, and then she summarizes that not only is there a child fulfilled in my womb, but that child will be the fulfillment of all the promises of God for the world. And so we read, and Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, at the same time, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Wow, this is just so unpredictable, unimaginable incomprehensible that God, the God of the universe who spoke the very planets into being that were converging at this time has, well, has chosen to use such austere circumstances to reveal his son. There's another thing that kind of bothers me too, and that is when somebody comes into the church, maybe for the first time or maybe for many, many times, and they say, you know what, I, I'm afraid to show up here because the ceiling's going to fall in, the lightning bolts are going to come down, people are going to judge me, they're going to stare at me, they're going to say, you're not worthy, or I know what you did, or whatever the case may be. There's this sense of unworthiness about the whole notion of coming into a place that oftentimes is just kind of scary, like a church. 
But yet what I've seen is if the people who are here also understand that sense of unworthiness for such a gift, then humility prevails and we look at the people who are seeking the one, like the wise men were, seeking to find that space in their hearts that they've tried and tried to fill with so many things unsuccessfully. And they are hoping against hope that if they come into this place, that space inside of us will be filled. And the one thing that I want to say to anybody who comes to church with that feeling of unworth is, God went as low as he possibly could to meet each of us. None of us are so low or so in, in such bad spaces in this world that God can't connect with us. And so the symbolism by design is a way of shouting from the housetops that we have a Savior, and He is for everyone. And to reinforce the point, the angels show up to a very working class group of people who are on the night shift, and they say, there may be a party going on in Rome right now, but there is something more significant going on right now in a stable in Bethlehem. And it's pretty overwhelming for these guys because they're just used to herding sheep and fighting off wolves and making sure the dogs are doing their job by keeping the sheep in line. And at times, just watching vigilantly for any predators that might affect their flock while they're looking for places to graze. And that's their job. What's so fascinating to me, because everything is so loaded in the storyline, is that when we look behind us at the at the, at the stained glass, we see an image of one who is a, a shepherd. And it's a vocation and a calling that Jesus, even though the culture may not have had great respect for them, even though people were so dependent upon their role, Jesus was saying, that's what I'm going to do. Because if you take a little bit closer look at what a shepherd does... They are a vital component to, the, to, 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 to really humanity and a vital component for the church. Well, there's just so much to ponder here. Luke is just basically, I'm going to say it. He has impregnated his message with so many things that just unfold and reveal themselves that it, it, it's, it's mind-blowing. And as you read the story, I hope that that's, that's sort of coming to life for you. And I hope you've been reading the Advent devotional booklets that we provided both uh, electronically and, you know, physically, if, if that's the case, because we're all trying to get in tune with what God is doing in not only this story, 
but in, in this moment right now that we're living in a world that's got its own brand of strangeness happening and its own brand of favor for people that are in the inn and its own brand of disfavor for people that are not in the inn. Because just like the people in that day, if we're honest, we too need a Savior. So here's how Luke concludes it. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And the Old Testament has very rich imagery of what a Savior is and what a Savior does. And quite honestly, for 400 years, they've been asking, where is our deliverer? Where is our Savior? And let's just be specific about this. Some of us are in this room because we've hit a lot of walls. We've, we've gone into some dark spaces. And we found ourselves not able to meet the demands of life in ways that life requires. Or perhaps we've found ourselves embedded in, in addictions or being overwhelmed by life. Or maybe in the season that we're in right now, perhaps the fear is so great you're wondering, is there a Savior and what Luke wants to tell us is, yes, in Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who was expected, which they knew about. But there's one other word here that Luke uses that he doesn't really spend a lot of time here talking about. But as he unfolds all 24 chapters of his book, he wants to make us well aware that Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, is a Lord, which is a statement to none other than Caesar Augustus. Jesus is Lord. And he is not. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you guys. But uh, I remember hearing a guy saying that I went to China. And I was riding in a cab. And I, I, I was able to talk to the driver. And we were looking at some social situations that were happening. Where there were some bad things happening to people. And the government didn't seem to care or do anything about it. Matter of fact, they were creating the conditions for it. And this person asked the driver, what is it that is being done about those conditions for those people? And the driver just looked at him and said, we're not allowed to talk about that. Now, can you imagine living in a place where you are not allowed to talk about certain things, no matter what? That's the Roman Empire. You're not allowed to talk about the Caesar in any way except favorably. 
kind of reminds you of those pictures of those Middle East dictators that are plastered all over the walls of all the buildings. And everywhere you go, you see them. That's the way Caesar was with statues everywhere saying, remember Caesar. And then some people come along who have absorbed the substance of what we have just read, that the good news isn't that Caesar is Lord. The good news is that Jesus is Lord. Why would anybody say that if it wasn't true? Because the consequence of saying that thing that we can't say to other people, we can't even talk about it, is pretty ugly. And as it turned out, there are people who are responsible for us receiving the gospel that we have, and the only way that they could get it to us by sharing it with other people was at the expense of their own lives. It was that valuable. So many people have died in the process of making the story known so that we ourselves who perhaps are saying, oh, Leonard's going a little long today, are not absorbing the significance of what God has done for you and I. But I can tell you there are people outside these walls who are locked down in fear who need to be delivered from that and they need to know deep in their hearts, deep in their being, that God loves them. Loves them more than they could ever imagine. And this story helps us to wrap our minds around that, doesn't it? Well, Jesus is Lord, and you may not feel like in 2020 that he is, but trust me, he is Lord. He may be allowing some things to happen, but my guess is he's shaking us all. He's allowing a, a lot of us to be shaken up so we can see things the way they need to be seen. You ever need shaken up like that? You're like, oh, don't go there, please. Well, we'll do that another time. But for now, I just want you to know that there is good news of great joy that is sourced in the very love of God that he has for us that I can't help but be compelled to share. And if you haven't been a recipient of that love, by being given an opportunity to be born again in him, to reset your life in him, to find a new purpose in him, to discover God's rich love that he has for you in him, to be adopted into his family and to be called sons and daughters of God in him, I want to offer that to you today because that is the good news. And I hope that if you've received it, you know that it is bundled with great joy. And so however it is that God is working in your heart today, we just want to help that process come alive in you in ways perhaps it never has before. Well, as I close, would you just bow with me? And let's just ask God to deal with our hearts. Father, we are so grateful that as we read this story once again, 
It comes alive in new ways in our hearts and our minds to assure us just how much against the backdrop of a world that just doesn't care and in many ways is not kind to people that don't fit. And yet we discover, Father, that your Son came to the very ground level of our lives to lead us into a new way of life in you. A way of life that is in the realm of your kingdom that though not geographically identified is spiritually a place that we inhabit that has all the characteristics and qualities of your lordship in whatever place we are living and may that kingdom have priority in each of our lives as we accept you and you alone as our lord and Savior. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here or anyone online that needs to accept you, that you would just lead them into that place of commitment and lead us, Lord, to help them to discover baptism and repentance and new life and a new way in a new covenant. So help us, Father, to be those people for this great news. In the name of our Savior, amen. Let's pray before we go to the table. Heavenly Father, we just want to ask you to, um, to give us this peace as we come to this table that you've prepared. As we hear those words that were spoken by the angel, to, to fear not, I bring you good news. I can hear you saying that to your disciples at the table. Fear not, for this is good news. But in my in the ultimate show of love, I sacrifice all. And as we come to this table and as we take this simple juice and a simple bread, help us to reflect on that greatest act of love. And let us fear not, for it is good news ask you to bless us to our bodies that we just take this and we share it in your son and our lord and savior's name amen
figures that one day he mentions and points out the stained glass is the day I forget to turn the light switch on. It's usually a little brighter than that. But uh, if you'd like to stand, we'll uh, close with a song about what we just learned about. to be like you 
Father, thank you for the good news that you have come amongst us, put on flesh, and you bore a curse for our sin. Celebrate your arrival. We look forward to all that you're accomplishing onto eternity. We thank you that you have come. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Uh, congregational meeting is after the service. If you'd like to stick around, please do, and we'll see you soon.